Hello, this is Earl Fontenelle, and you are listening to the Schwepp, the Secret History of Western Esotericism podcast, online at schwepp.net. And today we're speaking with Nilufer Akchai, who is a specialist on Porphyry, Plotinus, and many other wonderful late Platonist subjects, and whose new book on Porphyry's On the Cave of the Nymphs, out with Brill, makes her a perfect person to talk to about this wonderful text. So, Nilufer, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me here. Thank you, Earl. Absolutely. So, before we get into what I think is, in a way, the most fascinating work of Porphyry, and that's saying a lot because Porphyry's work is pretty fascinating all around, um, I wonder if you can introduce On the Cave of the Nymphs. Like, if you were to describe it to someone who's never heard of it, but who knows who Porphyry is, how would you describe this book? Oh, okay. This text is about the allegorical interpretation of Homer verses in Odyssey. Yeah. It's about the cave of the nymphs in in the harbor of Ithaca. There is a cave uh, in Ithaca and dedicated to the Naiad nymphs and the nymphs weaving a garment, see purple garment, and the these these rooms are made of stones, and also there are amphoras, mixing bowls, and the bees store honey in them. And also at the head of the harbor, where the cave is, uh, there is an olive tree, and this is this is the this is the verses. So Porphyry takes these verses and writes an allegorical interpretation, but uh, in a very extensive way, very detailed allegorical interpretation and uses mythology, religion, uh, mysterious uh, philosophy, uh, astrology, all these uh, factors. So this, this is a fascinating piece for anyone who's interested in the esoteric and one of the reasons I think it's fascinating is because Porphyry treats Homer and, and Porphyry's sources also treat Homer, like Cronius and Numenius, as 100% someone who has a secret meaning. So the fact that this passage is really weird and kind of doesn't make a lot of sense is a sign that it must have a deeper meaning, Right. Um, he uses mystical allegory, and the source of this allegory is Numenius. And the Porphyry draws on Numenius, particularly on Numenius. Uh, but I think he takes further in this allegorical interpretation, because as we know, what we preserve from Numenius' text, he uses many factors, multifaceted interpretation. But Porphyry set some principle and then looking uh, for one principle, a unity in this allegorical interpretation. He tried, he attempts to prove that Homer had some secrets. He knows hidden meanings, hidden truths, divine truths. And then he attempt to prove that first and this, all these uh, verses expresses one thing. This, this is the 
ascent of the soul to the intelligible realm. This is what Porphyry does here. Do you think that Numenius didn't have quite as unified? I mean, it's it's very difficult to reconstruct Numenius here. But do you think Numenius had didn't see the same meanings in this passage? I don't know. We know Numenius tends to use many factors. Yeah. For instance, he is interested in Jewish tradition. We know this. But we, uh, you know, this is only what we preserve uh, from his work. We can, we, we can say this, but I don't know, really. I don't know. There are some passages uh, from Numenius, especially about mysteries, Mithraic mysteries, and the, about the gates. Yeah. Because uh, Porphyry um, refers directly to, to him. But at the same time, at the, at the beginning of the text, he introduces some questions uh, about this allegorical interpretation. For instance, why doesn't Homer use only names but naiad names? Why amphoras, why do not amphoras uh, store water but honey, for, yeah. for example? There are so many questions at the beginning of the text. And then we know that uh, Porphyry takes them from Cronius. So in a way, it's like he's, um, he's read his Homer, he's read his Cronius and Numenius, and yeah. he sees a way to continue their work, but do it better, right? I think so, yeah. This, yeah. Is, what I, well, this is what I think. And also, especially, he focuses on one thing, uh, the salvation of the soul. Yeah. Right. So I find that a good interpretation. And what's interesting is that the salvation of the soul, we, we even get a glimpse of what that means for Porphyry here. So the soul is going to enter into Genesis, into this uh, world, yes. the yeah. world of extension, the world of yeah. um, coming to be, which is a pretty dark place, like a cave, right? Uh, yeah. And it the, is a sensible world, sensible yeah. world, you know, yeah. the cosmos. Aesthetikos cosmos. But yeah. then the soul, if the soul is a good soul, presumably a philosophic soul, it will yeah. go out of the cave through the other, the southern yeah. gate, and yeah. leave the cosmos. Now, what can you tell us about this process in, in Porphyry as, as he lays it out in the cave, on the Cave of the Nymphs and maybe as he lays it out um, elsewhere as well? Like, what are the criteria for being one of the souls that gets to escape? I think um, this text uh, should be read for me, you know, if we, we, we want to understand the text very well, we should read read it uh, through Porphyry's other works. For yeah. instance, through Sententia, uh, through Abgarum, uh, through other allegorical interpretation. So we can understand how he sees the, the, the salvation of the soul. But the most important thing is, I think, the virtues, Neoplatonic virtues. The soul reaches uh, its salvation, true salvation. For mm. instance, especially for me, this is uh, that the, the, the text uh, involves uh, at the level of cathartic virtues. So there's this sort of hierarchy of virtues, right? Yeah. Which our yeah. listeners might not be familiar first, with. First, I think, civic virtues. Right. This is for the common common uh, people 
And the, but the cathartic virtues, the second one, the higher one, it is contemplative. So the soul uh, contemplates the one, the intelligible realm. So a fairly, fairly Plotinian yeah. set of virtues, right? Um, I think so. Now, yeah. what I wonder about is the bits in Augustine, in the, the the citations of the De Regressu Animae that we find in Augustine's On the City of God, which you cite in your book all over the place, seem to point to some role for theurgic practice in Porphyry's purification of the soul, or maybe it's the purification of the soul vehicle, the Ochima. Pneuma. It's a bit unclear, and it's very difficult to know what to make of these citations in Augustine because they're so hostile, and yeah. and he's citing it in Latin, so he's translated everything, and we don't have the Greek that he was translating from. Do you think, based on your reading, that there is a role for theurgic practice in Porphyry's idea of salvation? I think so, because uh, you know he's a well-known vegan yeah uh, there are some dietary restrictions this is this is also the, a kind of salvation for the soul and it's, it's like a rites you know a ritual might it's be. A, a ritual practice okay. it's not enough but it is a part of it we gotcha. cannot say this is yes if you if you have diet if you do not eat meat then your your uh, soul soul but this is not the case but it's a part of it Gotcha. And also, you know, he is interested in mysteries. So as we see in, in, in the in text, especially Mithraic mysteries. And then and there are so many Orphic poems, two poems. And then I, I suspect because we only know these, these poems from uh, from this text. And then uh, during my um, my work on the on the on the text, I suspect uh, they were written by Porphyry. Of course, I cannot uh, prove it, but you can you can think because he is also a poet at the same time. We know, and um, so you think he f- so, he wrote some Orphica. You think he forged yeah, some Orphic Orphica. verses? Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> well, no, indeed, why not? Um, I guess the question would be: Did he have an Orphic text around that? Um, well, for, for example. When he gets into the astrological material from Numenius in sections 20, 21, 22 of the cave, the interpretation, like Numenius's astrological reading, fits really well with the Homer. He doesn't have to change anything. Like Homer talks about a north entrance and a south entrance. Then you can bring in Capricorn and Cancer and and summer and winter. Yeah. Yeah. So that fits really well. He doesn't have to change anything to find a correspondence between what Homer's doing and what astrology says. But maybe, yeah, he wanted an Orphic text to cite and he didn't find anything that quite matched Homer very well, so he composed his own Orphic stuff. It's an interesting theory anyway. Um, I mean, we know that all our Orphic material was written by someone who decided to write some poetry and then write Orpheus at the top. So why not Porphyry? Let's talk a little bit about the mysteries, which you mentioned. This work is an absolute treasure trove for data about the Mithraic mysteries. 
whether we want to accept that data as actually reflecting the mysteries as they were practiced or reflecting Porphyry's allegory of the mysteries is another question which I'd like to come back to. But for now, I just wanted to first ask, do you think, because Porphyry writes about all kinds of mysteries in his works. He references Eleusis, like everyone does. Eleusis, yeah. He references, you know, Dionysus in this in this text. Pythagoreans. Pythagoreans, if we want to consider that in the um, yeah. in the rubric of mu- mystery. Yeah. But here he talks about Mithras a lot, and he um, even talks about the mysteries, and then he says like the Lion Initiate and the the Persian, yeah. and these are Mithraic grades. He doesn't even mention Mithras in the context. You just they are expected to understand that he's talking about Mithras. Do you think the reason he is so interested in Mithras here is specifically because of the cave connection? Because the Mithraic temple is called a cave. And so when he sees the cave in Homer, he just says, ah, the mysteries of Mithras is the perfect allegorical source for mm-hmm. wisdom about this. Mm-hmm. Or do you think it's for some other reason, like he himself has been just been initiated recently and he's really into Mithras or something like that? His uh, ultimate goal, I think, for me, is to compare Platonic cave and Mithraic cave, because they are opposite. And then the texts involve many opposites, dry and wet. And then Platonic cave, Mithraic cave. And uh, Genesis, Apogenesis. North, South, all of them are indicates opposite in this world, you know. So for me, most probably, you know, it's a, it's a comparison because Platonic cave is a, in this world or the cosmos, we should go away, we should escape. But Mithraic cave is the, is the place where the soul desire to be, to be embodied. Yeah. 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 I guess you can say for, for Porphyry, both Plato's cave in the Republic and the Mithraic cave are symbols of the cosmos. So in that way, they're the same. But in Plato, the cave is a symbol of ignorance and deception and not seeing the truth. While in the Mithraic reading of Porphyry, the cosmos is, I mean, it's, it definitely has its drawbacks, but it's, it's not a, it's not, he doesn't emphasize that aspect of it. He emphasizes more the world of coming to be as a sort of proving ground of souls, a place where souls can practice the virtues and then move mm. on, right? Mm. Is that sort of the opposition you're getting at? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really difficult because there is a cave, it's a physical cave, and then there are m- mysterious practicing in those caves, but the case is a is a cosmos but it's not a cosmos at the same time you know it's really there are so many things it's really difficult you know really difficult to you mean to, to interpret you know the, yeah. you cannot say this this is uh, for instance uh, you mentioned about uh, leo at the level of leo so th- th- for, for me he emphasizes especially emphasizes because it is the uh, threshold you know it is the uh, um, the soul. Uh, this is the point at the Leo. This is the point. The soul coming from wetness to dryness, because it's it's about fire. You should find a place. Uh, 
the, the right place. You should you should escape from wetness. Yeah. Moist. The idea that the traditional Aristotelian qualities of hot, dry, moist mm. should affect the soul is it seems very weird. It's not something Plotinus talks about ever. But Porphyry yeah. here is really, really into it. But obviously, it's not affecting the soul directly. It's affecting the, yeah. the pneuma. It is it's a symbol. It's a symbol, yeah. It's a symbol. But yeah. seemingly, it's a symbol of something that really does... Do you think he really thinks that they're literally, the soul vehicle, the pneuma, gets damp? Or I do you think... think he uses that as a metaphor for being interested in earthly pleasures and stuff like that. I think it's half, half enough, you know? Bit of both. Both, I think. Yeah, yeah. Because at some point you cannot say this is this is that. You cannot say, you know? Okay. But it's just, the, the, the important thing is uh, your interpretation, your philosophical principle uh, is compatible with this tradition. But the tradition is is also complex because the yeah. tradition is Plotinus, but also a bit of Longinus and then a bit of Porphyry, his own ideas, and yeah. Homer and the ancients and Cronius, Numenius, everyone. So the, Aristotle. So the, yeah. the the tradition itself is so complex that the what is compatible depends yeah. very much on the choices that the interpreter makes. Yeah. For Porphyry, it's compatible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Now, staying with the Mithraic material for a minute, uh, I wanted to ask you about this because your book is the first, I mean, we don't have very much secondary literature in English on on the Cave of the Nymphs anyway, but your book is is the first one to really take this Mithraic question on board and you survey the literature, you survey different interpretations. So it seems to me we have two kind of schools of thought here with on a continuum with a range between them. One school of thought says, and this school of thought is represented by uh, Turkan in his book Mithras Platonicus. Porphyry is looking at genuine cultic stuff of Mithras, right? But he doesn't necessarily know anything about the Mithraic cult, really. And he knows they have caves, he knows a few things, he knows the names of a couple grades and so on. But then he's interpreting the whole thing in terms of Neoplatonic allegory. So we can't look to Porphyry for information about Mithraism. Then you have another position which we could say is represented by Roger Beck, which is saying, actually, Porphyry's on the Cave of the Nymphs is a great source for information about Mithraism. We have to read it carefully, obviously, but uh, there's lots of stuff in here that is probably telling us about the Mithraic mysteries. What's your take on this question? I don't think Mithraic mysteries can be interpre- interpreted as Neoplatonic. No. I don't think so. This is... I think I'm influenced by by Beck, Roger Beck, hugely, because I, I read his books, his articles a lot, but unfortunately, I'm not Turkan very much. Maybe I, I read Turkan through Beck. Right. So, I think I'm in favor of uh, back my positions because this is um, yeah it it could be ne- neoplatonic but yeah you, you you can for instance you can say according to this interpretation uh, Homer is a neoplatonic philosopher you can say this or for Numenius when uh, he, uh, he interprets Homer oh Homer is a Pythagorean neo Pythagorean 
you can say this because it's it's an aspect it's an in- interpretation but i cannot say sharply mitraic mysteries should be interpreted by uh, neoplatonic philosophy but of course uh, according to porphyry they they are uh, compatible yeah he can interpret mysteries or we can take some notion from mysteries we can use for neoplatonic philosophy i don't know if the question needs you know turkon's his attempt to show that this is all all this porphyrian testimony is just neoplatonic allegory i don't buy it really because first of all a lot of what porphyry brings to the table via numenius that we might want to consider relevant to mithraism is the astrological stuff where he talks about the tropics of cancer and capricorn being the gates of the souls symbolized by the gates of the caves but then mithras being not at the tropics but at the equinoctial the set the point and with cautes and cautopates to his right and left now we know that mithraic mysteries had something to do with the stars because there's all this astral imagery all over these toroctonies and sometimes we even have the houses of the zodiac sometimes we have constellation maps we have i mean it's just blatantly obvious something is going on to do with the stars and what he's saying there doesn't sound particularly platonist you don't have you can be a platonist and an astrologer but you can also be a platonist who doesn't care about astrology at all so for him to bring this to the table and say this is where Mith- Mithras lives in the sort of zodiac, why is that even Neoplatonist at all? Why is that not him taking zodiacal star lore from the Mithraic mysteries or from someone's reading of the Mithraic mysteries and saying, oh, that kind of fits with my stuff that I read in Numenius? Also, it is very complicated, I think, especially this Tauroctony. Mm. And then it shows some varieties. Yeah, there's more than one Tauroctony for sure. There are so many symbols there. Raven, for instance, Scorpio. And then you can, of course, there are some Tauroctonies. If I remember correctly, you can interpret this uh, celestial image differently. Because even we cannot cannot say the celestial map is on that time. We cannot say this. Mm. Right, you know, which 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 is really difficult. Yeah, but I don't think uh, they are Neoplatonist or Platonist. I cannot say this. Hmm. this is, but of course, uh, all this tradition, all these philosophical schools, mysteries, there are intertwined. There are influences between yeah. them. It's, yeah, it's normal because you know Mitras also some. Uh, if I remember, is identified with uh, Jesus, for instance, because there are some dates you know they are they are the same but of course there are influences yeah there are, I th- and i think that's a very sensible way to approach it like you don't have to ask the question were the mithraic mysteries neoplatonic or platonic even but if we look at something like the hermetica mm-hmm. uh corpus hermeticum there's all kinds of stuff in there that we can say well this is a do- this is a doctrine that goes back to plato mm-hmm. even though these people I mean, there's like very little evidence that the authors of the Hermetica mm-hmm. were reading Plato with a, you know, keen eye to philosophic detail. They just mm-hmm. believed in an immortal soul and they believed in 
a spherical cosmos with nested planetary spheres and all that kind of stuff. So this is just maybe part and parcel of late antique religion, really, more than being platonic, if you see what I mean. Also, um, this, for Mysterious, this text is significant in the sense that all the information given by Porphyry are correct. This is important. They are, you know, according to uh, iconography of the cult. So this is important, I think. I think so, too. He knows his stuff. Yeah. He knows his Mithras. Yeah. Which is another example, I guess, of, of Porphyry being such a, a keen lover of religion and ethnography. You know, like he quotes the Bible he, he, in the remaining fragments of Against the Christians. He seems to actually yeah. know the Christian writings quite well. Yeah. You know, he's, he's really interested in other really? cultural currents, yeah. which is great because Plotinus doesn't care yeah. <laughs> about any of that stuff. <laughs> so what's your feeling on the idea that, and this is 100% speculative, I think, but uh, do you think Porphyry was a Mithraic initiate himself? Or do you not have an opinion? Nah. I don't think so. I don't know. Yeah. But I don't think so because I think he's a philosopher. But I, I cannot say this. He's, he can be a philosopher, but at the same time, he's initiated. I don't know. I mean, Plutarch was I a priest know. of Apollo. But he might be. He could be a member of Eleusis Mysteries. I don't know. We don't know. I just thought I would ask. I just had to throw that out there as, a, as an irresponsible question. Nilfer, so before I let you go, I'd love to talk about the descent and ascent of the soul, which is something he really gets into in the sort of end half of On the Cave. How does it work? Um, how, does, how does Porphyry tell us this process works? The, the, I think the, the first one through, through sensible, he, he says. And then the the other one is through intelligible. Right. Okay. This intelligible is all about virtues. Uh, tr uh, train your mind, contemplate. But on the other hand, this uh, through the sensible one is interesting because it's all about pneumatic body, right? And uh, about witness Genesis. This is the the soul descending into the into this sensible world. And he obtains some substances uh, from from the planets. So the body, uh, then the body is named according to this. For instance, uh, the planets, the soul uh, gets some substances and it's called ethereal body. When it comes uh, to the sun, it gets some substance named solar body. And it, uh, the, the last one is the lunar body. And then descend into into this realm. The reverse apogenesis. He believes the the, the soul lose all the substances and then uh, go beyond the planets, beyond the sphere of the fixed stars, even fixed stars. Yeah. yeah. And then, but I think the substances uh, are never lost. So do they stay? But they return their origin their origin gotcha so there's a sort of conservation of matter and energy yeah. at play yeah. um yeah. so is this a process that happens when we die a yeah or b yeah. This is when we die yeah is this something that can happen when we're alive as well because yeah. we know that porphyry says plotinus attained to union with the one actually mm -hmm. he says with with the the god who is 
above all qualities yeah. and noose. Mm-hmm. He doesn't call it the one, but that's what he's talking about. And I too, Porphyry, by the way, also attained this one time. And here I am writing about it. So clearly I'm still in my body mm-hmm. and I'm still in my ethereal solar and lunar bodies, presumably as well. Mm-hmm. But a priori, when I attained to union with the one, I I couldn't have had any of those bodies, right? I definitely didn't have my yeah. physical body. Yeah. I definitely didn't have my yeah. pneumatic is, body. This is a kind of, you know, this is a, this is a central intelligible. Your mind, your through contemplation, thanks to virtues. So you can uh, you, you can, clean your 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 soul. Yeah. Purify your soul. Yeah. This is the essence of the soul. But the the, the other one. I think uh, it could be both when you die physically or when when you are alive. So this is something I find very fascinating in the in the Platonist no, tradition. This no. sort of mirroring between death and spiritual practices that you do while you're alive. So yeah. death is obviously leaving the body. We know this from yeah. Plato's Phaedo. And mm-hmm. Plato's Phaedo also tells us we should try to die before we die, that philosophy is a preparation for death. It's a yeah. separation yeah. from the body. Yeah. And so this is Porphyry's take on that. You, When you die, yeah. of course, your soul is going to leave your body. But, yeah. but you can also do it while you're still alive. alive. Yeah. This is, the, this is the point. Yeah. And is this salvation? Is this salvation? Yeah, this salvation. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the path is the, to use philosophy. So what happens to the souls who don't do philosophy when they die? Are they there's some of them at least their pneuma stays trapped in this world because he tells us about the ghosts whose pneuma has become so uh, wet that people can actually see this kind of misty yeah. apparition. Yeah. Misty, cloudy. You know, we can say when it becomes more wet, it becomes uh, visible, right? Like a cloud. Yeah. yeah. So this is where ghosts come from. Yeah. <laughs> but what happens to these souls? I'm I'm really interested in this question. So you say you lived a life, you didn't practice any of the virtues. You're just a a damp scumbag, right? Mm-hmm. And you die. Mm-hmm. What what happens next? Does he tell us really? I, I think it might be you go to Hades. I don't know. Right. But it is also complicated because there is another allegorical interpretation of Porphyry on stinks. For instance, uh, he interprets Hades as uh, not underground. Yeah. It's it's complicated, really. It's but we know they they all this soul, all the not 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 uh, purified soul, uh, will be punished. We yeah. know this, or they cannot uh, find the truth. You know, there's a bit, there's been some research done on this kind of idea of the astral afterlife. That the the whole Platonist view of the traditional Hades is basically just it's moved. It's moved to the sky. So you have mm. the souls living in the Milky Way. Sometimes you have souls living in the moon, this sort of thing. And yeah. I wonder if Porphyry has a, a really fixed idea about that or if it's just kind of one option, whether he, he's, he's not quite sure, you know, what happens to given souls after death. He knows some things, but he doesn't know everything. And I wonder what his approach is. I think so. Yeah. He's leaving he doesn't it open. know everything. And the, the other important important uh, point in the text is he tried to reconcile Homer with Plato. Homer and Plato. It's important, I think. Mm. Because he attempts to explain Homer through Plato. This is important. He also sort of intem- attempts to explain 
Plato through Homer in a way, right? Because, yeah. or he he attempts to explain both of them through his own philosophy. Yeah, cool. yeah. You could argue. But in the end, you know, in the end, he focused on Homer, only Homer. And then he mentions Homer excellence. He knows everything. He knows the truth, hidden truth. So I think because after the interpretation of Athena and Odysseus under the olive tree, he phrases Homer, Homer excellence, Homer virtues. Right. So, what is yeah. what is the story of Athena and Odysseus under the olive tree? Because we haven't talked about the olive tree, really. Yeah, olive tree, I think it's very important because it's sacred tree sacred to Athena. Athena is the goddess of mine. He showed the way, the correct way, the true way to Odysseus. Right. So it's it's act like it's a she's a symbol of uh, Phronesis. Phronesis wisdom, so, which leads you to wisdom. the yeah. right path. Got it. Right. Yeah. Well. So it is not random, you know. Homer excellence comes from the the verses because nothing is at random. He puts the tree at the at the head of harbor because there is a there is an intention there because. That the cosmos uh, is not a creation of of a random mind. This work is such an amazing sort of window onto not just Porphyry, not just Platonism, late Platonism, but the kind of riches that you can get through interpretation. You know, yeah. through yeah. tafsir, as this uh, this work is called in Arabic. You have a very short text, and you can just pull mountains and mountains of correspondences out. And once you start doing that, and then you bring in the Pythagoreans, and you bring in the Egyptians, and you bring in Numenius, and you bring in Plato, even, once or twice, Mm -hmm. um, you come up with an amazing, something new Mm -hmm. that isn't in Homer, arguably. Arguably, it is in Homer, waiting to Mm -hmm. be found. But few modern readers of Homer would think that he intentionally meant to symbolize any of this stuff in his Cave of the Nymphs mm-hmm. story. Mm-hmm. So, Nilfer Akchai, thank you so much for introducing us to some of the important themes and what's going on in this, in this great work. Thank you very much, John. I'm very pleased to be here well, to talk about Cave of Nymphs. It's a pleasure to have you. Uh, <laughs> and stay esoteric. Thank you.